Greetings, I'm Kirsten Banksness, and this is the Kirsten's Agenda podcast, where I talk to all kinds of interesting people about all kinds of interesting things that I want you to know about. And don't forget to take time to rate, review, and of course, subscribe, so you're notified whenever I post new episodes. One, two, three, seven, Kirsten's Agenda is the name of my podcast, a personal departure from my crime-solving broadcast. There will be lots of segments and inspiring guests, some minutes of deep breaths, that is my quest. If while we're here, then our insides expand to be more compassionate to our fellow man and woman and person. And, and remember, the truth is that kindness is cool. Have sex with my feelings and fuck being cruel. Because our power it lies in our minds and our hearts. Opening up is a really good place to start. This is a real honor and super exciting. It, just when you start learning, like, like people make things happen in the world so that we can just sort of, you know, make our dreams come true. And we're going to talk to one of those people today, an actual member of the United States Congress, Congressman Alan Lowenthal. He represents California's 47th district. That includes Long Beach and Catalina Island and L.A. County and a few cities in Orange County, like Garden Grove, Los Alamitos. Congressman Lowenthal was kind enough to take time out of his super busy schedule, like making things happen for us, and let me talk to him. And uh, we talk about why it's crucial that we're all civically engaged in this time in history. This was right after um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg left the planet. Uh, and I, I, this man is is just a real quality human being. And I, this is my first time meeting him, but you'll see what I mean. I give you Congressman Alan Lowenthal. My great honor to introduce Congressman Lowenthal. Congressman Lowenthal represents the 47th district. Is that correct, sir? That's correct. The great number. You represent um, Long Beach, and uh, is it is it Garden Grove? Western and Northern Orange County. Garden Grove, Westminster, Cypress, Stanton. Uh, I went to Cypress Ross- Community College. So you know. I so know. You know. I know. Rossmont, Los Alamitos, some of the unincorporated area, part of Buena Park. So that whole northern and western part of Orange County and Long Beach, some of Lakewood, and Signal Hill in L.A. County. Beautiful. So those are all places that I frequent a lot. My therapist is in Long Beach, and me and my mother eat lunch on 2nd Street when there's not a pandemic on the regular. Um, and uh, so it is, it is definitely part of my hood. I, I've done many a play at uh, Cypress Community Community College, and, I, and I, that's how I was able to um, go to Cal State Fullerton because I did not have the grades to get into Cal State Fullerton yet. So thank God there was that community college. And the reason why it had funding was because people filled out the, the census and were back. Exactly right. Full circle. Um, so That's exactly right. And, and you started as a city council person and then became an assembly person and now a congress person. Is that correct? Well, a senator too in between a city oh. council, state assembly, state senate, and now uh, a U.S. Congress. This excites me a lot because I, I mean, if I just take my own- and Before that, I was yes, a professor. I was a professor at Cal State Long Beach. Uh-huh. I'm a psychologist. Oh. And taught psychology at Cal State Long Beach. That is- 
a wonderful, I love this whole journey. And I, I think that that is part of what makes a good uh, person at the top. Um, I noticed it's a totally different scenario and I'm acknowledging that, but I noticed I got one line on this TV show called Criminal Minds and I remember being there and no one was looking me in the eye and no one really paid attention to my makeup was and it was really shadowy, the lighting, and it was just sort of like stay out of the way and do your job. And then when they brought me back for a bigger role, uh, for a, you know, a larger, they were like, you can say more lines. I was a little, little better. And people were a little more reverent. And, and as I moved up the ranks, you could kind of remember what it was over there. And even as I moved up the ranks from like getting a, a role in high school, as opposed to being a series regular on a television show, it's different, but you definitely, if you can keep vantage of where you were, the contrast I think makes you uh, a, better, a, a better leader uh, uh, and better at your job because you can kind of see where you were and, and know where you're going as opposed to people who just get something and also you don't appreciate it as much because you didn't have to do that little, you know, knock out the glass ceiling bit. And what has, has your experience, do you pull lessons on your way up? I know, I know being an actor is much more difficult than being a congressperson. Congressperson, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I play pretend and people hand me tea. Um, so, uh, so I know I know that your job is much more complex with a, a lot of spinning plates and 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 not only the um, diplomatic side of it, but the but the scholastic part of it. So many different things, so many different moving parts. Ha, ha, has that changed as you went from city council up? And how has that changed? Is that too broad of a question? Well, you know, I. I I, I think my values have always been the same and they were shaped when I was very young and I'm Jewish and I always believed in tikkun olam, which means giving back to the community. That's who you are. You are there to give back to other people. Uh, so I, I kind of believe that that has shaped my way. And it's also I'll kind of give you an example uh, along the way, what I've realized, and there are a number of examples uh, that you have to trust the people that you're serving. You have to trust them. When I was in the state legislature, and I'm a Democrat, and the state legislature was uh, had a Democratic assembly and a Democratic senator, a Senate, although uh, over the time when I first got there, there was a, a Democratic governor and then a Republican governor, Mr. Schwarzenegger. But when I first got there, so the, my party's in control. And I did, I learned about redistricting and so we were every 10 years from the census data we then go about and draw district boundaries i found that so horrible that i joined a group of bipartisan folks and said we should take this there's a conflict of interest here we should take it out of the hands of the legislature and let an independent group draw our boundaries because all we do is sit around at night figuring out where we want to move things and how and my Democrats in the, said, we're not going to go there. Why should we go there? We're in control. You're one of us. And I said, well, if you trust the people and stop worrying about who's in control and who has the power and let the people draw the lines, you will go do better and we will do better. And that's what's happened in California. So I think I learned over the years that not only do you have to keep your values, 
but you have to trust people to do the right thing. And uh, you don't ha- you just have to carry that out and make sure that we create institutions that really reflect the wishes of our community. That's beautiful. And that's a good lesson for us all. That's just beautiful. I, I, I appreciate that so much. Because if you just have your values, then that's your compass. And you don't have to worry about every, every situation. You just lay those values up against it and, and, and you're set to go. I, I appreciate that so much. Okay. Gosh, I'm like, I'm moving to Long Beach right now. Um, I want to talk a little bit briefly about gun control. Being in California and having lived in different places with that have either much less or much more appreciation for the second amendment. Um, I noticed that as we all do that when a shooting happens, everything gets really uptick and we got to do something about it. And then, and then everybody fights and then nothing happens. And then how do we get to a place of having some meaningful gun legislature? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Cause I had the same experience. I I've been working on these issues for since I was on the city council, trying to come up with reasonable gun issues. In the 1990s when I was on the city council, it had to do with what was in the LA region. There used to be a ring of cheap gun manufacturers and they used to manufacture what were called Saturday night specials. And what Saturday night special was, were starter guns for kids. Young people, you could get a gun for $25. And it was dangerous to even to shoot these cheap guns, not yeah. let alone, and they were used inordinately in crime. And so I worked on with, uh, uh, actually uh, led by, uh, at that time, city councilman, Mike Fura. we created the Municipal Gun Violence Working Group of all the local city councils, and I worked on that. And you would think that after 30 or 40 years, we would have made great changes, but we haven't done that much. Another incident, which was very interesting, I was elected to uh, the uh, the Congress in 2012, November of 2012. A month later, in a bipartisan way, uh, Harvard University invited all the new Congress members to come, and there were about 30 of us that decided to do it, to come for a week-long seminar in December. And so there were about 15 of us were in this small group, and we were talking, and in the group with us was a, a woman who was just elected also to, to Congress, who represented the area around uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School. She represented it. And if you remember in 2012, what happened was this young man who was 20 years of age, took guns that he had at home, went into Sandy Hook Elk and killed 26 little kids. Yeah. I thought that was it. After that, everything would change. I mean, those are our children and they were, and yes, we have had a hard time and, and had a profound impact upon me. I was right there. She learned what had happened. We all saw what happened. It was unfolding in the news. But I think that more recently, what, what has happened at, I think it was at Stoneham Douglas School, is that a lot of younger people have been invigorated because of the shootings that have gone on in school, and they are demanding change. And I think the change that will occur around gun violence will occur because young people are gonna vote more and demand change. Those older folks like us, we just, even if we supported it, we couldn't get it done. 
I think it's going to take the younger generation to say enough is enough. We're not, we've got to have reasonable, rational rules. We're living through this. We live through shootings on our own. It's going to change. And they have organized. And it's a wonderful thing to say. Yes, it's, I, I 100% agree with you. I feel like the, one of the most beautiful things about kids in general is that their authenticity shines through and they don't, they, they understand truth. And there is no such thing as a post-truth media. And this is one of the things that people started to say, well, that's not re- it didn't really happen. It didn't, re-. all of that nonsense. And, and these kids are the ones who have to live through these harrowing experiences in places where they should just be able to just absorb and learn. And, uh, and I, I agree with you. And I, I also think it's so wonderful that, that, that you have all of the institutional knowledge to help those those pieces of legislature go through i think it i think it takes everybody i think it takes the kids and i think it takes the not the the not visually looking like kids but still know what it's like to be kids on the inside of your body and unfortunately there are people who look like they're uh, adults and they forgot what it's like to be kids inside their body and those are the people i'm worried about um you senator lonthal i do believe that I can see all of your ages, like Madeline Lingle would say, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have two more questions for you. One question is about currently how we have uh, the amazing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has left the planet um, after doing much service on a beautiful, appropriate day for her to leave the planet. And it has justifiably freaked everybody out especially um, people who are terrified about uh, what could get reversed. Um, What do you think we need to do? I'm going to ask specifically about the LGBTQ community. I saw your um, wonderful uh, one minute, but chock full of information speech you gave uh, for pride month. um, And I really appreciate it as, as a bisexual woman. Um, What, what can we do as citizens to make sure we, we shore up those rights of people we love who are part of that community? Well, I, let, me, let me begin by saying uh, I'm still in mourning about the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, there has only been one Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one towering giant in a small body who changed the way of American history, who really fought for equality for all people, especially women's rights that she dealt with, and and uh, uh, and did it in a way of re- being respectful of others, but never giving up and never stopping, and, and always, always understanding that she could do it through the role that she played. So that's the first thing. I, I think that one of the things that we can do is to recognize that all of, at any given moment, all of our rights are always in jeopardy unless we, you know, we're not just given these as a gift. We, you know, it is our role in this generation to protect what we had. And so when I first got to Congress also, uh, I, I went to, and I had a chance to watch Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I went to the Supreme Court to watch the oral arguments around on the LGBTQ issue around, that was around 
the courts were deciding whether Proposition 8, which was in California, or Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was the military government, where those were unconstitutional. Uh, and I decided at that point to fly the pride flag outside my office until all people were equal. Okay? Just as a statement that I am there to fight for equal rights for all people. Uh, and I realized that within the, especially in, in the Congress, there were some wonderful leaders uh, like David Cicilline. David is from Rhode Island. Uh, David was the chief author of the Equality Act. Well, up until now, in when dealing for LGBT rights, we did it piecemeal because that was at first, you've got to crawl before you walk. So that we did it against discrimination in the military or discrimination in housing. The Equality Act said, which we still have. Well, the Equality Act said LGBTQ rights are total for all issues. It's part of the Civil Rights Act. And no matter what it is, whether it's elections, whether it's voting, whether it's housing, whether it's employment, they're covered. We passed that bill out of the House of Representatives, David Cicilline being the chief author, and, uh, and the Equality Caucus leading the way on that. And that's sitting over in the Senate. So the first thing we've got to do is to get the Senate to vote on this issue, because uh, uh, the Senate now has a history of not wanting to vote on what they call controversial. I think it's basic human rights. This is not controversial. Uh, and so I think that's really where we are. We, and I think if we've learned anything from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon, and our whole life has to be committed to equality and moving forward. Once we forget about that and take things for granted, we're going to lose all of the rights other rights also. So I think right now we are halfway done with providing full equality uh, for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We have to make sure by passing the Equality Act uh, and making sure that uh, we, we provide the same rights to trans uh, brothers and sisters and making sure that same, the children of same-sex uh, marriages have the same and cannot be denied citizenship. There are lots of things that we've only done halfway. The time now is to complete this and, and make sure that we provide full rights for, for that. Because once we provide full rights for the LGBT community, we're providing full rights for all of us. That's right. That's right. That's thank you. I'm just so heartened by you. I'm so touched that you exist. You know, I like, I like my, uh, my, uh, house of representative person in my district very much. It's just, so I've been, it's just made, make, make my heart swell and my brain happy that you are, uh, taking care of another part of my state. Uh, it's just, I'm full of so much pride about, about you, sir. So it makes me really happy. And you, by dint of you coming on and listening to what you're saying and, and that you've kept your values solid, as you can tell with, you know, with everything you're saying, this is heartening me. This gives me to have this conversation with you, gives me like a little more vim and vigor to like, keep going another day and do this stuff. What gives you that? Whether is it, do you do something, what do you do to recharge? What do you do so that you're back and you're there and you're clear headed and you don't got a chip on your shoulder? 
Well, I don't know exactly all the time about you know, <laughs> what, what I do. I, I do know that um, it's, it, you, you, we all need to have support systems. We all need to be understand that we, it's very hard to do this alone. It's, it's important to let people know how you feel and what you're doing. And that's been critically important, not trying to keep everything inside of me. And I think, I think ever since, you know, I talked about my value system and I also think that the kind of professions that I chose reflect that value system, whether it was a faculty member in psychology or it was being on my city council because I wanted to see changes in my community and, or then being elected to the state legislature. And I, th and I think the driving force was because when I got my doctorate, I was, it was in child psychology. And it always was, I always believed that our children and our grandchildren don't have a seat at the table. They're not, rep everybody else, we have these powerful interests in the country, moneyed interests and other interests. But I'm gonna be one of the people, and not just simply me, who is gonna reflect those who are, aren't even born yet, are not at the table. You know, uh, they need to be listened to. This, what we do on this planet is really for our children and our grandchildren. And so I think that always gives me great energy to know that I'm speaking for, for them. And uh, that's part of who I am, not the whole total part, yeah. but it gives me that, that energy that they now have a seat at the table too. Yeah, I agree with you about that. I've, I've thought about that a lot lately, especially been having these fires and stuff. It's like, it's, it's my responsibility because I want kids that aren't even here yet to be able to at the very least enjoy right. beautiful California in the way I've been able to. It's just not fair. It, That's there's, right. It's just, and so it is our, it is our responsibility. Um, may I ask you one more question, Congressman? Absolutely. You can okay. ask me anything. What can we do? to be good constituents. I mean, yeah, we can all say you're great. I can say my person is great and whatever, but it is a participatory sport as far as I can see it and works best when we do participate. What is the best way we can participate and be good constituents to get our way? What comes around goes around. We get back to the beginning of what we started. Everybody out there has to sign up for the census. Mm -hmm. It is everyone's responsibility. You do not depend upon your leaders or your elected officials to make those decisions for you. You have got to do it. And so I think it's the same thing in, in all areas. The census just, just want, you have to vote. I don't care who you vote for. Yeah. But if you don't vote for anything, you are denying the, the operation of the society. You are denying future change. So you have to vote. You have to contact your office. You have to let people know what you believe and what you want them to do. And you're right. This, this system only works with the full participation of the people that we represent, that they have a voice and they exercise that voice and they operate under it and they engage in activities, whether it's the volunteer to help in a women's shelter or it's to write to your Congress member, you've got a responsibility to give back to that society. And that's what, that's what makes this thing work, not just the elected officials. It's that people exercise that responsibility that they have to help others and to give back to the society. And yeah. that's what I think that makes it work. 
Yes, those are excellent, excellent ways to be a good constituent. I'm very impressed that I've done them. Thank you, Congressman Lowenthal, so much for being on my program. I am honored to be a California resident with you. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. I never expected that, so it's very (laughs) nice to hear that. Kirsten's Agenda podcast is a Friends at Work production. It is executive produced by me, Kirsten Vangsness, and Andrea Sumter. Our producers are Natasha Bellicove, Katie Phillips, and Jeremy Gruber. Our podcast is edited by John Knowles. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, being kind is punk as fuck. Punk as fuck.